question and answer session part two. Now out of plethora of questions I got throughout these uh, New Year Christmas holidays, I have to pick and choose unfortunately, I cannot answer them all. So it I started in my first uh, first session, first part of this podcast uh, to start to with uh, easiest ones. Now we are going to more difficult ones, of course, posed by Han Fei. <laughs> now there are six questions. Han Fei formulated for us quite extensively and interestingly enough one of our readers going by the name of Ivan Karamazov I think uh, well justified in belief that this is not his Christian name uh, have himself provided some answers did my job and did it quite well I would even say I agree with a lot of this some of this I wouldn't be I wouldn't say I'm disagreeing but I'm not so certain about but this is a very good take so in this session we'll go through what both of those gentlemen uh, had to say and uh, so I'll be answering Han Fei and I'll be answering Ivan because he put early on uh, one remark on on some of my ideas and uh, they are not explicitly questions but they uh, can be answered nevertheless so let's start uh Hanfei puts in his third questions we won't go into sequence but we'll go from the easiest <laughs> towards the hardest he asks i quote on the nature of ethnos race, identity and nation. What exactly is your concept of say a Croat, Serb, Slav, European, Aryan? Question mark. <laughs> is nation nothing but a politically determined boundary? Is race a social construct or is it a biological reality as some claim? Do races form super organic unities that have destinies as per Spengler or are they purely spiritual units, devoid of agency or ability to define the actions of individuals that constitute them? Do you think that European race has a future and if not, what would mankind's prospect be like without it? Now, I think anybody listening to this now understands why I say that <laughs> I'm dealing with quite difficult questions here. <laughs> you might as well ask me to count uh, all the grains and sands of all the beaches on Earth and all the deserts of Mars, but why not give it a shot? So, this is the question that I consider very good because it is the question I myself uh, often pose and I'm not able to answer in a manner that would completely satisfy me. Uh, I think that the best answer to this question is to describe the attitude towards it, and that would be epistemological humility. Ivan, <laughs> uh, who tried to answer this question for me in answers to Humphrey, uh, uh, more or less correctly, I think, uh, said that... Uh, and I paraphrase that this question is not really answerable in, in, in that it is, I quote, very difficult uh, 
impossible to study. I wouldn't agree that it is impossible, only that it is very difficult and uh, that it seems impossible only if you approach the question of not what is ethnicity, I would say what is people uh, from the modern standpoint. And modern standpoint implies in my mind that you have to have metapolitics or metapolitical theory that explains what is people and more uh, precisely what is your own people. This is something also in my opinion that started to emerge uh, in the modern age in the birth of modernity with consequent birth of nationalism because nationalism is the substantial political form of modernity, I would say. It's quite paradoxical when you see today uh, this uh, concentrated attack on any kind of uh, nationalism. Uh, from my experience, from my own country, uh, it, it is even doubly uh, concentrated because Yugoslavia, the former communist federation uh, in which my of which my country was a constituent state uh, had this knack uh, for uh, laying all the ills of cosmos itself on nationalism simply for the reason that this federation was created in the first place to solve the national question and was completely unable to solve it so nationalism is extremely vilified term but people who vilify nationalism conveniently forget that they wouldn't be able to exist if they are, uh, is they, if they consider themselves progressive, modern, etc., without nationalism. Now, uh, to, uh, to 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 approach to approach the explanation of what I mean by this, I have to make a small digression before modernity to pre-modern periods. A lot of people today. I guess uh, in the breaks uh, between ses video gaming sessions uh, claim that uh, nations uh, didn't exist uh, before modernity, that uh, in, in ancient and medieval times there were no nations. Certainly there were no nation states but nations there were and they were sometimes called precisely that and the term was more or less synonymous with ethnos the greek term ethnos the people uh, it is uh, very uh, very easy to demonstrate this uh, moreover it is not even uh, necessary to demonstrate it because it is obvious from historical records uh, only a, a difference, but it's a substantial difference between this understanding of nation and what we nowadays call nationalism is the um, place of sovereignty, that is to say the point of sovereignty, who is the sovereign, where the power lies and consequently from where does this metapolitical theory spring? And in the pre-modern times, it was not the people. It was either aristocracy or royalty, most likely, sometimes even Vaid oligarchy, or even priesthood in some peoples, uh, or mixed thereof, of course. But never the people, never, never the uh, 
what we now consider a sovereign, uh, a substance of sovereign nation, because sovereign nation is nation is understood mostly, if not exclusively, today as a nation, uh, as a people ruling themselves either through their elected representatives of someone else but mostly through elections through 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 some kind of liberal democratic form and the earliest form of nationalisms in my opinion and as far as i know although i'm not neither historian nor politologist but i study these things and i think that i could claim that this is the the liberal state is the original form of nation state in a modern sense. So nationalism is a nation that acquired sovereignty. Therefore, if it has king, for instance, king is not a real sovereign, people are sovereign. Now, when you compare this, for instance, for Arist with Aristotle's classical notion of politics, where he says that good politics that is to say virtuous politics is that the one uh, that rules the political community or politea for the good of all or the good of most is not the same thing because he doesn't imply that is it is ruled by all it is ruled by either a person a group of persons or class of persons never by all in uh, nationalism, there is this implication, this modern, I would even go to say enlightenment implication of people ruling themselves as people, of volonté générale of Rousseau or something, uh, or some refinement thereof. Uh, I think this shows that nationalism is, 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 is not as... Uh, should not be as appealing as it is today to people who consider themselves some kind of uh, uh, defenders of the continuity with the past, trying to stop this process of dissolution in the, let's call it global world, or at least uh, the world where there is no uh, there is no idea of something substantial something given that you cannot change and that you have to cherish and so on uh, nationalism more like is more like uh, was more like a weapon to to destroy uh, to destroy uh, political forms that kept this uh, originally uh, the thing with it and now we'll get back to 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 question to the nature of people, uh, the thing that nationalism, in contrast to communism, for instance, or this, uh, I don't know even how to call it, dissolutive democracy, I wouldn't call it leftism, but or liberalism, as Americans call it, I would call it dissolutionary politics. What it has going for itself, uh, in contrast to it, is that it is based on reality, and this reality is the people. So it is not based, it is not based on dialectical materialism and on the class that is given imaginary properties as working industrial working class in Marxism. Uh, neither it is built on race, as fascism did. Uh, that is to say, by hypostasizing uh, uh, the, the the race 
or the people understood as race, reduced to biological foundation, biological essence, and then given properties and qualifications that really cannot be historically verified, uh, given, in fact, imaginary qualities. Because one thing in fascism you can note is this uh, recourse to imagination, to imaginary past, to, to mythologizing the past. And whereas I am in no uh, shape or form enemy of myth, this kind of modern mythologizing is a pure poison. It is extremely destructive thing. It is, in fact, an attempt to euthanize the mind, the intellect. Because the intellect does not give you what you need. It does not give you what Han Fei seeks here. It doesn't give you definition of nation. Uh, moreover, not the definition you would like to see because fascists uh, were always uh, in, in their individual and particular projects uh, favoring uh, the idea of the hierarchy between nations and superiority of their own or group of their own. Uh, I would say that all those uh, forms of, of, of uh, treating the people as some kind of substantial reality are in fact entirely modern. Uh, what keeps nationalism still alive and viable and probably uh, the only recourse people uh, who are anti-dissolution have now in political sense is that it's built upon the reality of people. And this reality is not something that can be imagined, but it is also not something that can be defined, I think. And this is a great problem. But it is a problem only insofar as you believe that there is, there has to be written, this is important, written theory or written system of laws that define everything, especially the most important things. I would, I would propose that originally this was not really the case. Now, we had a Roman law, or still have it, uh, we have all kinds of constitutions of ancient states, but the most important things, I would say, were not defined at all. They were just observed. And one good, and I would, I would recommend here, I already did it, I do it again, I would recommend Joseph de Matter and his essay on the general, generative principle of political constitutions, where he writes about this. The idea, namely, that the best constitution is always the unwritten one, that the best laws, the laws that define, in fact, that is to say that depict the human, very human nature cannot be written. Uh, the reason why cannot they cannot be written, according to Mitre, was uh, that they are God-given and they have at least, you have to understand them as having roots beyond time and beyond history and that they are given in history. <clears throat> so this is in line with, he was a Christian thinker, uh, very much so, with some idiosyncrasies coming from his uh, allegiance to a specific kind of, 
<laughs> contradiction in terms called Catholic Masonry, that is to say Freemasons that were Catholic but thought that they have discovered some kind of esoteric Catholicism uh, uh, that were uh, that were uh, gathering around the ideas and person of the so-called philosophic Cuny, uh, unknown philosophers, uh, <laughs> that is to say Comte, uh, Comte Saint-Martin in France. But that's just to put this as a footnote on some of Demeter's ideas. Uh, but he was more Orthodox Catholic than he was uh, Freemason. That's very obvious from his writings. And what he means here is that uh, uh, the true, uh, the true uh, politea, the politea that is best, is the one that is not able to constitute itself, but is constituted. That is to say, the constitution, the thing that, that brought it into existence, is not something you can lay out uh, in all its details and thus put in the laboratory to do it again. Because the whole point of having a, a pure theoretical foundation of something is the ability to repeat it. That is to say, it is the ability to exercise power over it. The matter thinks, uh, the, and I think rightly, uh, that the origin of peoples and the origin of states, uh, great states, or states that were uh, historically uh, historically important, uh, is not something that uh, people could consciously create. Consciousness does not play part here. This is kind of like opposite of uh, standard modern understanding of nationalism and a nation that is present in Hegel, for instance, who believed that nation is uh, what makes a historical subject. You cannot be historical subject without nation. Not having a nation disqualifies people. Uh, because nation is kind of this historical individuality that stems from the and this is where he agrees, even with Maitre, uh, with uh, Zitli, what he calls Zitlichkeit. Uh, Zitlichkeit is uh, not simply morality, uh, it is customary morality, let's say. That is to say, you could even say spirit of the people that gets codified in time, but it has to get codified and uh, is appropriated consciously because in Hegel everything has to be conscious. Now on Kali Tribune I talked a lot about this consciousness thing, how wrong the term it is to, to confuse it with insight. It is not insight, it is projection and externalization of something. So Hegel wants to see things externalized, the spirit the power of spirit is measured on its ability to externalize itself, to go out of itself. Whereas if you, if you just give a look to my Christmas, small Christmas article, just from 25th of, of, of December last year, I say something about this. A matter has this orthodox Christian understanding that, that expression is not, at least for human beings, Expression is more like losing of the power of spirit 
because the real uh, the real uh, real strength uh, strength is inside and because of the this tragic position that human being has in this world uh, for the reason of its fallen nature is that any kind uh, of externalization or articulation of its inner essence uh, tends to diminish this essence and it has to return it back into itself whereas in Hegel this is very different although uh, done with extreme philosophical subtlety and always worthy of study which cannot be said for every philosopher of his age uh, so I would say that leaving the nation and peoples undefined is uh, in fact uh, a necessity. They just are. And this does not mean that those are transcendent realities. Uh, this just means that they are not to be uh, the, the subjects of strict sciences. Uh, even sciences as understood in the traditional sense where science is, uh, is an activity that builds up a habitus, a state of, 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 of mind or state of soul in you, not a system of inferences. So when, whenever you are, uh, I notice this, whenever uh, leftists try to provoke somebody that is aware of his belonging to people that uh, to, 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 to get him in the trouble as they say define it define it and people come out with come up with definitions and so on but they are never satisfactory and it's easy, easy for leftists to do something like that because left is purely theoretical construct a left in the sense of for instance theoretical left communism but I would say that all left maybe with exception of the left that is only qualifier of some realist policy but leftist theory is built on on imagination very similar as fascism is although it has it is pointed towards different uh, vector whereas fascism uh, wants to reimagine the past the left wants to reimagine the future and th then imagine the past according to this future like leading to this utopian state uh, uh, and leftists themselves, after some time, at least where I live, uh, tend to uh, to create their utopian nations in their minds because they need this concreteness. So they have, in in where I live, they cannot move from the concept notion of Yugoslavia as a universal utopia. So they are Yugoslav nationalists only. Their nation does not exist. So they are <laughs> probably the worst form of nationalist you can imagine and they are surprisingly when you think about it surprisingly conservative or retrograde because they are always looking to the past to to the specific uh, time of 40 years between two uh, between world war ii and the fall of the berlin wall very peculiar thing uh, peculiar to to ex-yugoslav leftists so that would be my take more or less on this of course there's always more to say about this but i i don't just don't have time this will be a long one <laughs> despite this so uh let us take a harder question uh we'll we'll put one question into two 
So uh, Hanfi asks uh, on morality and politics. Uh, uh, can history of unfolding events as well as analysis of political actions be ever considered from a moral point of view or given an ethical value judgment? And if so, in what way can this be done in order to avoid moralistic pitfalls such as demonization or deification that obscure and cloud the sound uh, reasoned assessment of what is true? That's one question. Uh, the other, on the nature of hunger and fear. Oh, sorry. I lost it a bit. Uh, the website closed. So, on the nature of anger and fear. What exactly does anger and fear constitute in the traditional mentality, particularly in writings of the medieval scholastics? Why is the evangelical imperative of love thy enemies and turn the other cheek so relevant for this modern age? Uh, does this entail complete passive acceptance even in the face of violence and destruction as some neo-pagan critics of Christianity seem to lodge forth? When we feel a strong repulsion against something or someone, is it not true that we fear an aspect of ourselves that we create to fill in the chasm of understanding separating us? Well, could mean that. But let us start, let us get back to the beginning. So, uh, is there a basis of, of uh, value judgment in history? Uh, obviously, there is, although I wouldn't call it value judgment. I have this knack of when I consider the usage of words, no matter how popular or prevalent, to be wrong, I just don't use them. This is my. <laughs> Without explanation, value judgment is economical, not a moral judgment, because values are not moral. Uh, I know it's prevalent, we all use it uh, more or less, but this is something 19th century given us, I think, most of all Nietzsche to make uh, values uh, a kind of uh, a surrogate for virtues or goods as were called in, uh, in, in Greek uh, purposes of action, of good action. Uh, values uh, are con uh, concerned with uh, material, uh, uh, material well-being. It's an economic term, it's a price level. So, uh, that aside, uh, moralistic pitfall, well, you fall into moralistic pitfall when you have a theory of uh, uh, of, 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 of conducting warfare today, where any kind uh, any kind of of, of uh, uh, let's say destroying your enemy <laughs> in any other way than uh, giving him a moral lecture uh, could be a war crime, a war is based upon the premise of destroying the enemy in some way. And there are differences only as to in what way. And everybody who was participant in the war will tell you that there is very little of this noble uh, friendship among the fighting uh, where people some, uh, at some instance uh, realize that they shouldn't be fighting each other and kind of make a moment of peace, share a dinner, 
uh, in the middle of front lines. Okay, we don't have so much front lines today, but this is something that that is uh, something that does happen, but not very often. The soldier uh, in a war has uh, has a purpose to destroy his enemy. Uh, if possible, not to kill. Most people don't want to kill. Uh, there were even some of these uh, experimental social experiments about this. I won't go into that. I don't like those, but because you don't need them. People are uh, killers are very rare breed, natural killers, and you kind of recognize those people. There are some. Uh, there are peoples, I would say, that have this tendency, but this tendency comes from their specific culture uh, and uh, moreover religious cultures that have no uh, really ban on killing, at least killing some, some, some groups of people. But I think in the this civilized world, more or less civilized, it is a very rare thing. Uh, uh, now, uh, taking this as a given, uh, what would be a moral thing to do in a war? Don't kill more than you have to. It's very simple. It might not be satisfactory, but this is uh, when you come when you talk about uh, human nature in uh, relation to human things and worldly things because history is after all for all we see despite rare moments uh, something that concerns us and that we humans are part of everything that is higher than us is also higher than history it can uh, it can intervene in it but it is not conditioned by it and to an extent that we are trying to ascend towards what is higher, we tend to ascend above history also and above politics. Uh, curiously enough, from that point of view, as much as you can reach it, of course, with your humble powers, politics and history seem to become clearer. Because I think this, what I just said about war, is quite a common sense thing. Now, uh, Ivan also uh, also answered this question. I won't go into our disagreements. It's most mostly very very prescient and intelligent. So I leave it at that. On the just war theory, of which I'm not expert, I know I I tend to quote Thomas Aquinas very often, but I am a selective reader. I, uh, this is not the part I studied in depth. This political part, especially just war theory, I won't go into theory. I'll tell you what I consider to be just, and it's a defense. You have a right. No, you have a right. You have. Uh, uh, you have a duty to defend uh, your life. Uh, the uh, Christian idea is not idea, it's a principle, it's an exemplar. Christianity don't have ideas in origin, in, in Gospels, it has exemplars. You have Jesus doing things to show you what you should do, but doing them divinely 
and you should copy them humanly. So this is where theology comes in because this is where the conundrum begins and uh, and misunderstandings. And you would never have, I think, Christian theology. Also one of the mitre's great insights, you would never have it if there was no trouble. And the ideal, one should not be happy about this. The ideal state would be that you don't need it at all. Uh, that would mean that you are that you are imitating your exemplar to the best of your abilities without anybody needing to explain you how to do that. So uh, when he says, turn the other cheek, as Ivan in his answer correctly notes, uh, this, uh, this applies uh, to inner motivation of the one who slept you. You are not to condemn him. You are not to... Uh, kind of like uh, see him as uh, absolute other from you i'm sorry for using this 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 loaded term but i'm sometimes uh, i have to struggle because english is not my original language and these are very difficult subjects so uh this means that this is in line with this uh uh message and gesture of Jesus that he constantly repeats, namely that in the eyes of God, all humans are equally, uh, let's say, guilty, or but also equally beloved, uh, that the standpoint of God is incommensurable to the standpoint of man. So when it says you have this famous sermon on the mount, I remember first time reading it after I studied, started studying philosophy and realizing what he's saying there, in put in contrast with Greek philosophy. When he say, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, this is not good. No, you heard, when he says, you heard. Uh, love your friend and hate thy enemy, and, but I tell you, love your enemies, bless those who 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 prosecute you, and so I'm I'm not quoting here. Uh, when you read Aristotle, uh, who was uh, we could even call him conservative, in, not in modern terms, but he was tradition Hellenic traditionalist and a traditionalist of this Mediterranean Middle Eastern culture, Near Eastern culture. He has a virtue uh, among the list of virtue. Has you have nemesis, uh, the righteous uh, vengeance, the righteous indignation when somebody who doesn't deserve something gets that something. What Jesus does, he inverts this and inverts this. It, it's very interesting to see uh, how he takes it. He 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 kind of like. You have a uh, you have an impression like he has all the principles of the world in which he was born that is not our world anymore uh, before him, and he takes them point by point and just gives them. I wouldn't say even inverts them, gives them them new spin, gives infuses something in them, and this is very important. And what he, I think, the, the reason for this is simply this ability to see yourself as creature. Uh, because in Christianity, every good thing you do, 
is good only in so far as it is done for the sake of ultimate good. That is to say, in translation, uh, for God. This is something that is extremely hard to wrap your mind about, around. Uh, because we are all a bit, if we are good people, we are all a bit sentimental, we modern people. There is not an ounce of sentimentality into, in this. When he says uh, that the love, agape, is the greatest virtue, and this is, mind you, not a virtue that you can develop by yourself, he means a love that recognizes God as origin, source, and presence in everything. If it's not such love, if you if it's a Romeo and Juliet love, if it's a love towards the child, the greatest mother's love you can imagine, without this, God has a little to do with it. That is to say, it is created also, but it is not the kind of love that you are called for in Christianity. So if you very much your love, love your child and want it safe and sound and happy, uh, in your prayers, you will never put it before God because it is always has to be subsumed, subordinated towards your, let's call it this spiritual love, your openness, your ability to be, uh, to be imbibed by it. And this is something... So when I said this, try to relate this to this love, love to our enemy, I will not here go into exegesis of Christ's words and is this what, what he really meant. I'm not, I'm really not competent to do this. But I think I can give my opinion here. This is what he means. This is not, uh, a problem is that people read this, these utterances in a sentimental way and they have sometimes good reason because when you read Gospels there is very strong, it can provoke very strong emotions, especially Gospel of John. And but these emotions, in my opinion, if they are properly uh, followed by person having them, are uh, well not really not really uh, everyday emotions. There is something more to them. There is something more subtle, and there is something more detached from our everyday living. Uh, something that is outside of this. So, uh, for instance, uh, when Christian loves his enemy and disembowels him, this is not necessarily a contradiction. It is contradiction to just to a certain extent, because killing is, uh, that is to say murder, is unequivocally evil because death is unequivocally evil in Christianity. Uh, people tend to forget this also, but death is wages of sin that is to say death is not natural for man and when they talk about theologians talk about uh, evil they think always in terms of death i would say a little death you every negation uh, is kind of participates on the ultimate negation and this is ultimate negation is negation of existence but this negation of existence of i have a much better word in latin esse act of being, uh, the beautiful contribution from Boetius to Thomas Aquinas is something that really cannot be destroyed because this is the essence of what, this creates the essence of what each of us are. This is the innermost sanctum 
of one's being and it is not property of one's being. It is not something you are, it is something you have because it is given to you. This is act of God in every creature. Because, uh, as I often say, creation is not to be understood as uh, causa finita, as something that is accomplished, but something that is always present. It is accomplished, but it is also always present and will be always present. This is not to be understood in temporal terms. Temporal terms have to be understood as symbols for it. And this is essay, you don't create yourself. And this fact that you don't create yourself paradoxically uh, makes you, gives you the utmost uniqueness. The uniqueness that you could never uh, provide to yourself. No human being is allowed to try to destroy this. And destroying this, destroying this is uh, condemning somebody to hell. You cannot destroy God's uh, creation, That you, you cannot destroy the fact of creation, but you can, uh, this being that is created can delude itself for all eternity, condemn the, itself to, to, to eternal delusion. And uh, I think Ivan, I agree here to some extent with Ivan who answered this already for Hanfei, uh, this is the essence of this non-judgment. Because uh, after all, you don't know I already spoke about this uh, a bit, that it is the knowledge of other men's heart is not analogical. That's something that I often see in, in Anglo-Saxon, especially philosophy, that we know other people through analogy of what is going on inside us. I don't really believe this to be true. It is to some extent, but uh, true insights, these intuitive insights, come from participation. Both you and the other have to participate in something communal because uh, the content of one's heart is something that is inner and to know the inner contents is not an easy thing. It's not something that you can just infer from the outside. You can always miss. And these things happen. I, I'm talking somewhat from my experience because I, I, I notice this in people that people can surprise you to such an extent that you see that somebody maybe who you knew for 30 years and even lived with for 30 years, you didn't really know. I remember my cousin, God rest her soul, she died just three weeks ago uh, when she was divorcing her husband. They were one of the most harmonious couples I ever knew and then she discovered that he was cheating on her. And she, and she was so good and so naive that she told me if, if it was me, I would tell him. <laughs> but he was not telling her. Uh, in the end, they didn't divorce. They spent a life together to the end. Very bitter and very prolonged end. But what she told me, I remember that vividly was, now I realized we slept together for, I don't know, 20 or something years. I never knew him. And this is something that is prevalent. It is prevalent, something that you will uh, often read in a, a literature from my part of the world, from Balkans, Eastern Europe, to continental Europe. To some extent, this maxim, uh, quote, who can know oneself? This is one of the insights you kind of suck in with with your with your first breath here. So it's very very 
uh, very clear to me. I believe maybe if, if you come from different culture, it would not be so as clear to you. It would be murky. But that's, this is it. So uh, as for just war theory, I won't go into theories. There is some t a thing like a just war if you're defending your existence and if you're defending your ability to uh live this existence in a certain way that is good it is just it, it only doesn't mean that uh, that killing people uh will uh, not uh, leave a mark on you the mark of sin because it's a sin to kill and this uh, it may seem paradoxical to you but the whole christian outlook is built upon premise that you really can't do the main thing you can't uh, fix yourself. That is to say, you can't escape this contradiction. All you can do is seek uh, seek uh, the liberation from them. But this liberation is 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 outside. It's it's already in dissolving the history, in in coming into state that is completely different of what we have now. And therefore, uh, a lot of these uh, left, if not all, leftist utopias are in fact inversions of of the of the idea of the resurrection of dead, of the final victory over dead that is that is present in the Christian creed and is read every Sunday at mass uh, so I, I am aware that this is not a hundred percent answer to the question but this is as much as i can give we are already going very very far with this i skipped the question on the left hand path i think even uh, answered it uh, admirably also a question about trump uh, that is to say, I'll just say in short, uh, was I wrong to consider that uh, that 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 the left, uh, this uh, this burgeoning, this this hypertrophy of leftist lunacy, will bring about some kind of hard right? Uh, at this moment, seems I was at least in America, but I was not thinking on America, and I was not thinking short term. I think that uh, uh, this extreme will. Uh, provide either corresponding opposite extreme or uh, bring about the solution itself but i won't go into this now the other question was on the relation between judaism and left-hand path occult and things that that uh, pertain to it even i think answered this very well and i'll just note one thing uh uh, just a minute it's not in answer to this question but the other but it's pertinent to it he said something about neopaganism uh, uh, I quote Ivan Karamazov the interesting aspect of these communities thinking on uh, he, he talks about incels men going their old way chumboards and so on outright the interesting aspect of these communities is that they seem to be homogenous. They are usually composed of either young white or East Asian males. I always had a feeling that these males are being groomed for homosexuality. 
There are male worship cults similar to those of ancient Greece and Rome that engaged in pederasty. End quote. I think this is very prescient and this is something that I noticed also. My first impression of alt-right was <laughs> there are a bunch of eggs. <laughs> San Sandinoviki. <laughs> and I maintain it to this day. Uh, I remember I, was, I had one video analyzing that guy that was leader what his name Richard uh, Richard Spencer and I in, I titled it dreamers of the gay this is uh, this is the word play on dreamers of the day this is uh, about uh, uh, concerning uh, Francis Parker Yoki which is one of one of the uh, theoreticians of this post second world war nazism or fascism global european nazism not german but th that puts europe in the center there's something unbelievably homoerotic about all this, and I don't like homoeroticism <laughs> one bit. But it's also, well, it comes with the territory, with uh, fascist, even with old fascist imaginarium, the award of streaks of homoeroticism. Maybe that's a prejudice because ridiculing Nazis in the 20th century when there was not really no political correctness I remember in the 80s a lot of it was based on uh, depicting them as facts this was this was something that was prevalent but maybe that's where I get this but there is I think Ivan is right here that there is a very strong <laughs> homoerotic uh, moment to this even might be a grooming grooming of young uh, young new writers to be uh, buggered by older new writers um, okay and the last question this I will answer uh, Humphrey, Humphrey asks what he asks I have to find in just a second last but most important is Christianity a Manichaean religion now he goes on tangent what he means but I will skip it for for the for the sake of brevity Christianity is not a Manichaean religion Christianity Christian theology is in a lot of crucial points defined and developed from the opposition of not only from what was original Manichaean idea the idea of dualism and I will say only this, uh, if you have one eternity, you cannot have two eternities, only you can have subordinate, infinite, uh, subordinate eternities, maybe, something that is called, called Ion <laughs> in Christianity, but also before Christianity, this term, Aviternanum uh, in Latin. And this is the age, what we call the age, and this is time in which angels live. But I'll keep silent about this because this subject is, is something very peculiar and needs further elaboration of which I am not sure I'm competent. However, Manichaean religion, which uh, based on everything I know about it, is extremely similar to what we would now call Freemasonry. With this, in, They had this uh, initiation process and so on and so forth. Uh, poses two equal principles, two equal perfections, and two equal eternities, as as far as I can see. And you cannot have two. You cannot have two supreme beings. You cannot have 
one eternity and then other eternity. That is to say, one perfect God, another perfect God, but this other perfect God is evil. This is uh, just logically impossible. It is impossible on the most crudest level of most crudest dogma, of which I don't like to speak, because this is kind of dogmatic thinking. I am utterly dogmatic man. I, I, I don't condone, practice, or any kind support critical thinking. I support only dogmatic thinking. But this kind of dogmaticism is very dry, and it is just here to satisfy your crudest dilemma uh, by a strike of logic. Every uh, extreme logical inference has a world of meaning contained therein. And just saying it without explicating the content is saying nothing. But this is uh, really <laughs> the best way to deal with uh, Qatari or Karstiani or Bogumili or Messilanians, any Manihan sect you want. Uh, they uh, they make two what uh, uh, they cut into two what simply has to be one. Who simply has to be one? Uh, introducing two principles. Uh, in Christianity, the evil is creation, and it was not originally created evil, but by its own will. It became evil, that is to say, corrupted its will and its 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 uh, spiritual faculties for all eternity. And but in uh, in all this, in all this, its essence remains attached to creation. It is created, therefore, uh, without God, there there wouldn't be even this being we call devil in Christianity. But it, it would not be uh, persisting in 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 uh, in existence. So, its evil is unredeemable because uh, there is a oh, complicated theology of this of angels not being able to. Uh, revoke the deliberations of their will because they are not embodied. They don't have uh, their vision obscured by anything, uh, but their inner power or capacity to know God. Uh, that is, uh, by knowing God, I mean knowing a lot of things, not just Godhead. Nobody sees the essence of God in Christian idea, but uh, the, for instance, the goodness of God or perfection or even laws of creation and they are in hierarchies, uh, but they are not uh, confined by bodies. So they are not influenced by weaknesses of this kind that are not pertinent to, to their spiritual powers. So when they make a decision, this decision is completely clear. There is nothing that deluded them. They just uh, understood the consequences, all consequences of it, and just did it. And this is the fall of Lucifer, because he wanted to be like God. He knew what it meant, and he pertains in being that because he cannot, uh, cannot accept, cannot accept not to be this creator principle of creation that is he's forever condemned to fall even deeper deeper and deeper now to put it on philosophical terms uh, evil in christianity is stereosis in greek that means uh, deprivation or lack of something or negation or uh, stereosis is blindness so blindness is the dysfunction of normal function of the eye 
and as such it is a kind of parasite on existence it's uh, it taken in itself it is nothing it needs good to exist to be a parasite on the good and it hides behind the good as nothing hides behind being in manichaeism this is obviously as you can see this is not a creature this is creator of the body of the matter i'm simplifying probably there are a lot of these dualist sects in my part of the world there were some that were you cannot really just uh uh, reduce them to manichaeism but this is the principle i i remember i knew one woman from bosnia uh, she was nominally muslim but as it was in bosnia in the old times you could be <laughs> muslim and catholic and hinduist at the same time they were very religious people this was like very religious they had this sense of uh, sacred some also a lot of superstition because when people origin have this same sense of the otherworldliness be sure that there will be a lot of superstition and this is something that people don't understand they think that if if you have a religious that being religious some people being very religious the prevalent there is a prevalent uh, notion of right religion that you won't have superstition no you have abundance of it because uh, they are uh, thinking in those terms they are not thinking in, in in for instance scientific terms they are thinking in religious terms so damas is uh, going to be very superstitious and they're going to be a sizable majority anyway this woman I remember when he, she said to me she was uh, uh, herbalist and telling fortune and so on and so forth. Uh, we talked about uh, somebody mentioned God. He said, she said, no, 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 no. God didn't create men. Satana created them. And uh, she she uh, named Satana. Satana, that's how we call him in, in, in creation. But uh, she meant in the female. Uh, the devil is female and this is uh, probably uh, this, uh, Bosnia was a place where there was this burgeoning uh, Christian heresy of Christianity you know, the church of Bosnia that were a dualist and not lot, a lot was is, is known about them about their theology uh, it is my opinion somewhat grounded on uh, on 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 history that they mostly converted to Islam when Turks came because they were always in conflict with uh, Catholic Church with Hungarians and Croats and to some extent with Serbs who had no not so many dealings with Bosnia at that time so and so the, therefore with Orthodox uh, one of the Orthodox churches so also but this is uh, kind of when you see that this is still living. Yeah, and the idea is that that Satan, if Satan made matter and body, that they are useless. And you have a a, a double conundrum that uh, these people that have these dualist notions tend to be either completely ascetic to a absurd sense, or a completely or, or indulge in the complete debauchery, because either way. When you think about it, you are destroying something that is worthless. Whereas in Christianity, the body not only is it not worthless, it is it has an exemplar, and this is the body of Christ. You worship uh, you worship the heart of Jesus. Uh, 
not wor- you, you are devoted. This is called devotions in Catholic Church. Devoted to his wounds, to his bodily aspects of him, of his glory, because his body is glorified. This is the body of God, of incarnated God. So to say that body as such is evil is in a complete contradiction with Christianity. There is no uh, no point of. Uh, of of uh, of 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 uh, reconciliation with these dualist notions. So this was a rather rather long podcast. Ah, we are going into full hour, like on all Kali Tribune. I hope this was more or less satisfactory. Just one note to our commenter Ivan Karamazov, whose answers to Han Fei we perused. Uh, Ivan uh, uh, notes that I am not very fond of Nietzsche or Schopenhauer, uh, whom he loves. Uh, this is the thing. Uh, I am in and out of philosophy for let's say 25 years now. In 25 years, people change. Some things don't change, but some things do change. And if you met me uh, 25 years ago, I would be enamored by Schopenhauer. I loved Schopenhauer. I love him still because (laughs) he was evil old bastard. So uh, when you read Schopenhauer, especially in Serbian translation, (laughs) because Serbs have... Uh, Serbs have this knack for 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 black humor, even sometimes unintentionally. So when, <laughs> when they translate his tirades against Hegel, his insults towards other philosophers, it tends to be hilarious and kind of very. Uh, Schopenhauer was a guy that uh, had very personal touch in all he did in philosophy. That's something I like. Uh, but I simply his philosophy, uh, his what I would call transcendental idealism is not something I need. I am uh, uh, I'm coming from this, let's say, traditional philosophy, pre-modern philosophy. I reject modern philosophy completely. I don't say it's worthless because saying that something is utterly worthless is a very untraditional thing to say because nothing exists without some trace to the to or original good form and uh, Schopenhauer has a lot going for himself uh, Nietzsche well Nietzsche is profound uh, Zarathustra especially is a profound book I think he is he was a man who lived uh, with utter domination, self-inflicted domination, uh, he was a kind of prophet of prophet of modernity. I think he even self-consciously took the role. Why somebody would do that is beyond me. And uh, I think the best explanation of Nietzsche is Thomas Mann, Thomas Mann's Doctor Faustus, because the the main character, that is to say, the object of the book about whom the book is, is not the nar- narrator. Adrian Leverkin is a combination of, I think, Schoenberg, the composer, and Nietzsche. But his demise at the end of the book, his fall into madness and futility of it all, is, I think, I think, very good 
very good description of Nietzsche himself. Uh, my answer is I don't, I don't really need them. And my time, as you get older, you realize your time is ever, ever short, shorter. So I don't, just don't indulge, indulge so much in them. I used Schopenhauer's works on uh, synchronicity. That's not how he called it. Did he call it uh, correspondence of, uh, how he called it? of the outer events to our inner state. So it's very, very insightful, but not as insightful as Thomas Aquinas' writings on destiny. I mean, I don't need I don't need Schopenhauer. I would need him if I would believe that modern science and philosophy made uh, church fathers, uh, Plato, Aristotle, Thomas Aquinas, or Proxel also obsolete. I don't believe that. I'm, I'm not convinced and therefore i don't need these modern modifications that have uh, that have relation to origin but they are nonetheless less original than those that went before modernity so that would be my answer thank you for your attention for this long podcast this is Franco Malik,